Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world. everyone and thanks for joining us again this week. I have with me today my dear friend Fatima Njoku from Nigeria and we have been friends for seven years and Fatima how are you? I'm fine thank you and how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good it's so good to see you and to talk with you. Um, I know I look to you as a, you know obviously a dear friend but also a mentor and an exemplar in being an advocate for religious freedom issues. You've been passionate about this for a long time. Can you share with our listeners today, what got you started? Okay, hello listeners. Um, working on freedom of religion or belief is something that started out while working for ethnic people, trying to help with minority rights. But, you know, in the course of doing that, I discovered that most of the minority rights issues were linked with religious identity. And so when we started looking into that more deeply, we found that most of the minority ethnic people, particularly in the Northern part of Nigeria, suffer a lot of um, discrimination and a lot of challenges, mainly because of their ethnic identity. So um, one case in particular that actually drew me in was the case of one girl, a teenage girl. I can't remember exactly her age. I think she was about 14 or thereabouts. She was at home. And then her parents said they came back and didn't find her. Long story short, she was traced to the Emir's house. And when he asked for his daughter, he was told that she cannot go back to him. He can't have her because she's been converted and she's no longer a Christian. And that was shocking for me, really. That was really shocking. And so, you know, we tried to do a lot, write to the Commission of Police, write to the Human Rights Commission and all that, try to see how we could get her back, but it proved very difficult. And that was when I got to realize that these things were much more deeper than that, because wow. the girl was married off without her father's consent, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing he could do about it. With all the advocacy and everything we did, she still ended up in that man's house for so many years until after, I think it was last year or so, we were hearing that she didn't have a child and we was thinking of putting her away. And so oh you just gosh. find that a teenager, her life was just basically ruined, if you ask me, because her education stops. She, she's exposed to a lot of things that adults should be facing and not children. Because... Right. VVF, um, I, you know, I'm not scientifically inclined, but I know it's vesicle vagina fistula, something like that, that yes. when young ladies give birth, they're exposed to that, they can't control urine and all of that. And in, yeah. in, in just here, there's a, there's, a, there's a unit in a hospital that is dedicated to those kind of patients. And so we find that freedom of religion or belief has a lot of... Um, 
connections into other things, you know, it has right. a rebound effect. So now this teenage girl was taken away because she's a Christian and converted. Okay. She was and so Northern Nigeria. Just to recap, like Nigeria is kind of split religiously in, in some ways, like the Northern part is more, you know, um, Islamic and then Southern is more Christian for the most part, would you say? And so yes. this girl was in yes. the Northern part. Mm -hmm. yes you find more muslims in the north and more christians in the south but it doesn't mean that there are no christians in the north or muslims in the south this girl happened to be a christian in the north and was pretty exactly. much kidnapped by someone and converted exactly. to this religion and then her family could not ever get her back you tried every legal avenue and so you're recognizing at this point that you know if i want to do all this advocacy work for one child marriage to all of these other things are linked with an ethnic group, minority ethnic group, and religion has so much to do with how these ethnic groups, exactly. you know, their culture, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you see, when we talk about human rights is linked in many ways. And freedom right. of religion or belief is just one out of so many of the human rights. And so you find that when the freedom of religion or belief is violated, other human rights are also violated. Yeah, her faith tradition, which was Christianity, was, was completely violated. Like she had no voice. And so mm -hmm. one kind of imposed upon another and then all these other human mm -hmm. rights violations occurred and rippled out from that. Yeah, you know, right? the complicated aspect of this is that, for example, the defense usually will be that this girl consented to this. But in Nigeria, you cannot drive until you're 18 years of age. How right. is it that a 14 year old can consent to something as serious as changing her religion and getting right. married? Yep. Yeah, that makes 14. no sense whatsoever. It makes yeah. no sense. That's a, know, a no That's a child, a 14-year-old is a child. That's a child, yeah. And so the defense that she consented, I mean, if you look at the offense of rape in Nigeria, for example, it is no defense to say that the child consented. Even if the child consented, if the child is not up to 18, it is deemed as rape in Nigeria, yeah. right? So yeah. why should that this be different? And so you find that- It's like a loophole in the law where no. somebody could come in because yeah if, if a child can't consent until they're you know of age but how is it that they can consent to change their religion and by so doing it would kind of allow all these other things like child marriage and all of these other things to kind of happen right so the question is is this like a loophole in the law where somebody could just claim that that they have now changed their religion and that now the religion says it's okay to be married at 14 against your will, and then that's it? Well, you know, in a way you could say a loophole in the sense that the constitution does not give, you know, that age kind of limits constitutionally. But then we, what we have, what we suffer in Nigeria, we have two laws, two sets of laws functioning at the same time. Oh. In Nigeria, I can tell you that there are places in the North they do not even know that there's a constitution. All they know is that there's a Sharia law. But mm. the constitutionally, Sharia law 
is only applicable to the extent of personal law, like succession, marriage, you know, and all those kind of things. Islamic personal law. That's what right. is constitutional it's, here. But now personal. you find that, yeah, but you find that some states, 12 states in the north, actually decided to put in a law, Sharia law, and give it even a lot of legal backing and are even using public funds to police it because they have a Hezbollah police that is funded with public funds. And this is contrary to the Constitution because the Constitution says that no state, the Federation or the state cannot adopt any religion as a state religion. But okay. in these 12 Northern states, they have practically adopted Islam as a state religion. And another oh, aspect of freedom of religion or belief is the fact that they say um, Sharia courts, for example, applicable to only Muslims and not Christians. But in practice, in these kinds of situations, for example, where a teenage girl has been taken, the matter will not be taken to the regular courts. They'll take it to a Sharia court. Oh, and so you see, we gosh, have yeah. a conflict of laws. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. that's just, you know, and then this issue of child marriage is just one out of so many other things. Right. Can you share a little bit about the situation that happened recently with Deborah? Because that was just so I can you share about that with our listeners? Yeah, so sometime in May this year, um, Deborah was in school. I think they had a WhatsApp chat group in their class. And so the report had it that she made a comment that people were posting things unrelated to the the reason for the WhatsApp chat. And then they allege that she said something blasphemous. She also said something about the fact that it was meant for their um, exams and all that. Well, what right. she said, someone, they took it as blasphemy and then she was killed and burnt. What was amazing about that is that this happened in a school where there are security per personnel. And then the people burnt her and even had the time to video what they were doing. Because after killing her, they burnt her. And there was even a video of one of them, one of the people who did that, facing the camera, showing the matches and you know, proudly saying, I was the one that did this and all of that. I mean, that's- So it's wonderful. documented. Um, she was probably 20, right? Like young, young, beautiful girl going yeah, to school. Young. It was like remember. a trade school. And it was her final year, interesting. Her final that year. Was her final year. When they when people started, you know, gathering the mob started gathering to kill her and all that, then they tried to hide her in the security post or something. But they said okay. that the mob, the mob overran the security post and dragged her out. Dragged and then her they out killed on the security her. post, right there on the yeah. school property. And the police was there. Yes, she was killed, and then they burned her. So the her. people that did I mean, it to her were were openly t videotaping showing that they exactly. had the matches, lighting it. So it was so blatant, I mean, so in the open. But the point is that human beings would have the mind to do that, the audacity right. to do that and get away with it. Even though, of course, they said they a few people were arrested, but you know, most times when these things happen, you just hear that some people were arrested to doubt tension. And later on, yeah. you hear that people have been released for lack of evidence or something. And it's, it's, it's just pathetic. It's, it's, it's just and the sad. thing that was the most alarming to me, Fatima, is that you appealed to Big Ocean Women, and we held a prayer vigil um, for Deborah and her family. And so mm -hmm. we were advertising, like sharing it, 
so that people could join us. And, and then it was like in the community, there was this counter movement saying that they needed to be apologized, like that the, that the perpetrators of the violence for some reason were justified and that it was the Christian community that needed to apologize for those acts because of the blasphemy that they think is worse than the actual killing of a human being, right? And so that was the craziest thing for me to rec like to realize, like there's two separate minds, two separate cultures, two separate ethnic kind of groups, um, but that was considered blasphemous and under Sharia law, I guess, penalty by death, right? And so- Well, let's just say that they handled it the way they thought best in their wisdom to handle it because if they wanted to take this up, I guess they could have taken this up more seriously if they really wanted to. But you see, let's assume, right? I'm not conceding to the fact that this, that she actually did anything blasphemous, but let's assume that she did that. What happens to the rule of law where you go to court and say, this is what this person said, and they check it and, you know, she let it be that she's sentenced by a court of competent jurisdiction and not just some mob somewhere, right? right. Let yeah. it not be that someone on the street just feels justified to take life. Because exactly. there are instances where we have heard allegations of people who they just want, they have scores to settle and they just have to just say that this person blasphemed and that's it. So how do you really prove that this person really said something that was blasphemous, right? Because someone yeah. just says, oh, this person has blasphemed and the next thing there's a mob. And you, you, you cannot even be sure that the people in the mob actually know what happened. They're just joining to do commit an atrocity. And you yeah. know, impunity, when somebody does something and gets away with it and feels like I can do this and get away with it, that's how impunity grows. Right. Yes, so absolutely. because this person was not punished and that person feels justified that he can do the same. And, and, and then, of course, the circle continues. And so, of course, we do not want people to we want people to respect. We have to respect each other's religion and religious beliefs and objects of faith. Right. But then there has to be clearly defined boundaries. And now, yes. like I was saying earlier, that you see freedom of religion or belief, for example, cuts across other, other, other aspects of human rights. So now where does freedom of expression, where does it start and stop? Because yes. people have freedom of expression, which is constitutionally guaranteed, right? Yeah. So people can speak and say things, but they shouldn't incite or say anything against someone's religion. But how do you now determine that this person truly said the, what is alleged to have said when a mob is the one that carries out the, ju ju the judgment. Right. So Those are some really, really good questions. So we live in a plural and a religious pluralistic world, right? There's regions that are occupied by various different ethnic groups. And with that come different religious beliefs and ways to practice and exercise your beliefs. And what you're saying, Fatim, I think is sounds very reasonable, you know, that we have to at some point recognize boundaries and recognize where your freedoms end and someone else's freedoms begin. And so that you mm -hmm. can live in a more or less harmonious or tolerant way, at least, where there's mm -hmm. general peace and stability. Because if mobocracy is the rule of the land, then it, I mean, there's literally no point for organized government. And if the government isn't 
going to exercise model of judiciary control over over region, then it by default, then you have these kind of mobs exercising that power and it's proving to be very violent. And my next mm-hmm. question is, how important of an issue is this? Like what's at stake? What why should the world care about this? Well, the world has to care because many lives are at stake in the whole of this. And, you know, many times, uh, as as this um, saying said, they came for the Jews and I did not say anything. And then they came for the the trade unionists and I said nothing because I was not a trade unionist. There's that, you know, those lines that, you know, when it happens to one, we should see that it's happening to all because, if it happens to one and we feel that, oh, we're not touched, it will come a time when it will touch us and there's no one yeah. to speak up for us. That's one. Secondly, let's start, let's go back to the issue of the girls, for example. Now, if these girls are taken away from their prime and their education stops, right? It's not just affecting that individual lady, it's affecting the children she's going to born. And you know, right. funny enough is that, in Nigeria here, we have so many out of school children, so many of them. And then of course, it circles back to crime in the society. Mm-hmm. And of course, when people, it, it gets to a point where if Nigeria begins to implode, people will leave Nigeria and go other places. And right. Nigeria is more than 200 million people, right? I mean, yeah. just imagine what has happened in Ukraine. and. Mm-hmm. People, countries cannot even accommodate the refugees and everything. So imagine that Nigeria implodes. How many countries can actually handle a refugee crisis from Nigeria? And these things start gradually. It starts gradually. It's so important that freedom of religion or belief is seen as a very important human right that should be given a lot of attention because people are taking advantage of this to cause a lot of havoc, to hide under criminality. Look at what happened with the Chibok girls, for example. The Boko Haram went to Chibok. Most of the girls that were taken from Chibok were Christian girls. These girls, at a point, the Boko Haram was even saying that they have given them out in marriage, right? Mm. These girls are used as sex slaves. Look at the second abduction, the other abduction that happened, that of the Dapchi girls in Yobe. The Muslim girls were all released, except Leah Shaibu, because she's a Christian. Up till now, as we speak, someone that was abducted, I think it's five years ago, she was 14. Up till now, she's abducted, she's not released simply because she's a Christian and refused to renounce her faith. So these are pathetic stories that will keep continuing if something is not done about it. So one thing that um, is really important to state is that Big Ocean Women, we are interfaith. That means that we are welcoming and open to various belief traditions and faith traditions. However, we have to admit that a lot of these violent crimes are happening to a specific targeted group, which are Christians. And exactly that it is Christian Mm. people, Christian women specifically that are at high, high risk for violence. It is the reality is such that it's Christians that are being persecuted in such a dramatic and violent way that we have to be more vocal about it. Christians perhaps all over the world need to be more vocal about it and, um, and demand, you know, 
legal action demand special protections if it needs to be that way. Um, and like you said, there's generational harm that happens. You know, if, if a girl is is taken from her home as a young child and is now a sex slave and then children born out of, you know, that violence, it just, like you said, generationally, it is an implosion waiting to happen. And then you bring a very good point. What would happen if an entire country were in such you know, disarray that people just need to flee. The world isn't prepared for that kind of, you know, refugees, just like you mentioned, Ukraine right now, we're seeing displaced people and, and countries just really aren't set up to house millions upon millions of new, of new people. So it's in the best interest of countries like Nigeria, it's in the best interest of the world, it's in the best interest of the individual that we talk about healthy boundaries and talk about, you know, how can we live cohesively in an area, even though we're from different ethnic and religious backgrounds that are different. Backgrounds. Right. Yeah, and I'll just like to add that, you know, these issues also touch on Muslims in a different way. Okay. Right, there are Muslims who are moderate Muslims who do not buy into extremism and all of that and have found themselves also targets especially yes. with terrorism you know in the northeast and all of that there are a lot of muslims that are also targeted for daring to be different for daring to be you know moderate and not you know taking into extremism and those right. ones are also at risk and i think right. it's important that that also comes out that is it you know sometimes i feel that the, the moderate Muslims are also, you know, they're, they're in, a, in, a, in a fix, so to say, because in one way, people look at it like, oh, this is a Muslim thing. And in another way, the extremists look at them like, no, you don't fit in because you don't buy into an, our ideology and they're in the middle. So there are also a lot of Muslims that are fallen victims of terrorism and all of that simply because they do not buy into extremism. And I think right. it's important that we know that and they also deserve to be protected. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really, really important point. Um, what, Fatima, in, in closing, what do you think is the solution? I mean, this is so entrenched and it's so difficult. And like you and I, we've attended the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women for years. And this is a really critical issue that's always brought up. But sometimes mm -hmm. we have a hard time really pinpointing how do, how do you really address this issue? From your experience and from, you know, I think Big Ocean Women has more of a holistic and long-term approach to solutions. What would you say, how can we start and what's the solution? I think we've started by first talking about it and then you know, keep talking about it and raising these issues and keep raising these issues. That's one way to start. Secondly is like to educate people you know, having people think that, you know, many times people think that people know human rights, but people don't know human rights. When I do take people on human rights workshops and all of that, I realize that people just think they know their human rights, but they really don't. People need to, we need to have workshops and all education on what their rights are, especially freedom of religion or belief. People need to know that they have this right and know what to do when their rights are violated. 
And then victims of these kinds of things, like all these girls that are taken out of school, girls that end up with VVF and all of that, we have to care for them. We have to be able to find a way to support them and support their family members and all of that. And so the solutions are actually, it depends on the individual cases, but generally speaking, we just have to keep raising the profile, keep talking about it and keep denouncing this. If possible, people who perpetrate these things can actually be profiled, right? And then when they are profiled and then, you know, countries begin to impose sanctions on them individually. And then if possible at the country level, it probably will reduce this because at the end of the day, what foils this whole thing is impunity, knowing that they can get away with it. I think that's what foils it the most. Right, and I love what you said about education too, because it, it, it does take time, but when you educate groups and groups you know, the public outcry grows and then you can demand collectively that government supports, you know, that these things be punished. And, um, and it, it takes time to grow that kind of a, a massive movement. Um, but denouncing it, um, exposing it, showing what it looks like. And then, like you said, the education of, of knowing what your rights are, um, I think that that is really the long-term solution. Um, it takes time, you know, it takes time to, to grow that and what all the work that you're doing, especially at the individual level as well, to, to be that, that compassionate, caring person, you know, for those that have experienced a lot of the ills of religion, the work that you've done with teen mothers, with um, widows, with with women who've been on the outskirts of the care, you know, I think that that work is just so so special to the individual receiving that support, but also as an example in the community of what needs to be done. You know, there's this external fight, but we can't forget individual people, and you've always been such an example in that and trying to bridge both, trying to be actively engaged in both. And it's not easy, it's very hard to do, but you've been able to do it beautifully. And I just really respect you in so many ways, Fatima, you're incredible. Thank you. Um, Big Ocean Women, we are you know, a collective group of women all over the world that are bound together through our faith, family and maternal identities. If anyone is interested in supporting a local group like Fatima's group in Nigeria on issues related to religious freedom, you could come and just directly support Fatima's group. We call them WAVES at bigoceanwomen.org. And there's a place where you can make a donation and you can earmark it specifically for Fatima and her group of women that are roughly around 50 or so as they work together on issues related to religious freedom, related to dignity and sovereignty of women, teen girls, all the way to widows and the elderly that are suffering because of these issues. So I know that that's one very practical, easy, and very impactful way you can help as a listener. Fatima, do you have anything else to add? Well, just to add that, 
when we hear that something is happening to people, let's not feel that because it doesn't affect us directly. We don't care. We really need to care. And there's always something to do. There's, there's always something you can pray, you can give, you can give advice. There is always something you can do. And so I'll just urge us, do something about it. When you hear about these things, please do something about it. You never can tell how far your help will go. You never can tell. I love that, Fatima. I love that. Thank you so much. I just love spending time with you. You're such a good friend to me. Thank you so much for all that you do. Um, just love you so much, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. We are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change. Join us in one of our local chapters, Waves, or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.